0: It's um, a real pleasure and honor to have uh, Ruth Chapman here today um, on behalf of the Tell series. Um, This is an opportunity for us to all engage with not only the business side and the success story of uh, Ruth and her husband Tom, but also to understand the sort of warts and all stories behind it as well. Um, And there's also a personal element. So when Ruth and I spoke on Monday, we decided that we should have a fireside chat format and also for her to give you um, the lessons that she has learned across um, her many years of working in the fast fashion and tech industry. So this is going to be Ruth's nine lessons, uh, sorry, eight lessons um, that we will have a talk through with the slides as well. So um, Ruth, do you want to give us a little bit of a background as to what Matches Fashion is and how you started it with your husband? Sure.
1: Um, Yes, we started a, a long time ago it's 33 years ago um, we started together so very much I'm a co-founder with my husband and we are definitely two sides of an organism um, and we both have different skill sets so probably I'm the alternative skill set that you have tonight I'm sure Tom would love to come along and talk to you and he's got quite a different brain and a different take on it um, But we were very complimentary. We started with one store in Wimbledon um, in about 1985. And it was a fashion store that sold um, lower priced men's and women's clothes initially. That's what we set out to do. Um, We were very, very naive and we were very young. And um, we didn't have very much money at all. And we quickly fell foul of the normal issues of cash flow. Um, we hadn't judged the foot traffic very well, so we, had, we dived into this very young and we made a lot of mistakes. So we had to very quickly learn on our feet, um, but we did. We very quickly went from selling lower price items to luxury items. And then we quickly um, expanded our business and at the end I think we had 14 stores around London at one point. Um, 11 years ago, we went online, um, and that was a really transformational period for us. We went online mostly because we had a very international customer base who was shopping with us already, and it was interesting because we had, since the very beginning of our business, we'd always been taking data from our customers, and I think that was the the most interesting thing about our business from that point, is that the minute we went online, we we had access to a lot of emails, so we were able to email our customers and we had people who came to us from Australia when they were in London from Toronto from Hong Kong from all over the world and so we were emailing them that we were online Um, and immediately this took off and we realized that we'd created this beast we (coughs) we hadn't bought more stock for this online business and suddenly we were putting things online and they were selling out immediately so we realized we had a huge opportunity (laughs) Um, but we also were a very independent business and so we had to fund this ourselves. So Fast forward six years where we're working with banks who were telling <coughs> us not to overtrade that we need to rein in our sales that we need to um, restrict what we're doing because The risk was so great to them and and to us too. So we looked for investors to come on board because we couldn't anymore buy the inventory that we needed to to meet the demand of our customers. And I think, I mean, we'll, we'll go through. We're we gonna start on here. <coughs> um, I don't know how that works. Um, no, we don't, we don't need it. It's not gonna work. Okay, so the, the first rule that Rishi and I talked about um, yesterday was understanding your customer. I mean, when we talk about understanding our customer, From the very beginning, our business was completely focused on the customer. We always wanted to give them exactly what they were looking for. We really wanted to understand the their their needs completely, it was always about them, it was never about anything else. And I think for the time, we were pretty young, but I think it was pretty innovative that we were taking data, that we were talking to them in this way, that we were white mailing them uh, in the early days about all the things we were doing. If we were having a particularly bad season, we would ask them to come in for canapes and cocktails. And we really looked after them. Tom has a a, a great saying that he he talks about, which is, you know when you have a small store on wimbledon high street you really have to learn to hug your customers so what we learned was that relationships are absolutely key to everything um, and understanding your customer is our number one rule it has been all the way along so from then it was back to you know they want to spend time they want attention they want a really expert service until now it's about how fast they want their parcels how um, how they want them delivered do they want them in eco packaging do they want them in recycled packaging do they want the luxury packaging what do the customer actually want and so that's what we spend a lot of time talking to them about um, and understanding and that's been probably the most valuable um, part of our business and it still stands today I mean we sold our business last September to Apex partners um, who we're very excited to take the business forward and the same executive team remains um, and I really believe that they still have that very ingrained in them that the customer absolutely has to come first and if you think around them all the time in fact we um, we do this exercise where The buying team and the buying team at Matches Fashion is pretty unique because if you look at a traditional department store um, And I think it's no secret that traditional department stores (laughs) accepting a few and not faring too well um, They will bring somebody in and I'll talk more about this later um, but what we do is we look for people who have uh, a creative flair um, a creative interest, a passion for fashion, rather than someone who CV says they 've worked for somebody before and they 've got this sell through and this we 're much better looking at for homegrown talent who come in as an interns and we really nurture them and i 'll talk more about that later too um, and we bring them up and they really start to understand the DNA of the customer. And we ask them, the whole team every year, to do a project. And it's, a, it's an anthropological project on how our customer is living now, um, how they're engaging with technology. Do they carry a giant iPad? Do they carry an iPhone 10? What, what do they need? What are the ergonomics of their handbags? I mean, handbags are a big part of our business. So that's really important, understanding how they live. How much are they traveling? How is wealth polarizing across the world? You know, more people. Unfortunately, it's a fact. More people are becoming wealthy. Um, that's not an unfortunate fact, but it's an unfortunate fact that a lot of the world are not keeping up. Um, but we need to think about how how they're traveling. You know, how they're moving, how they're working, how they how their romantic life is. How much time do they spend at the gym? Um, how important is that? Do they go from the gym to wearing their fabulous Max Mara coat? All of these things, and the the teams have to mood board this. They have to understand it and they have to come back to us. Because what we ask our buying teams to do is to go to market with an idea of what they want to see and an idea of how they'd like to spend their money. And they they need to understand how they want to break that down too. And that's all about understanding the customer. Uh, The importance of this, I mean, it it can't be stressed enough. And the majority of buyers out on market, if we look and going back to the department store model, will go every season and they won't have done that work. And they will just walk into a showroom and expect to feel, oh, this is nice. This is pretty, this is pretty, this is pretty. But that's not going to, ours go into market and they think, We know that our customer wants to wear cashmere leggings on the plane. We know that she needs to get an iPad of this size in her handbag. And that's how they're thinking. And they go out with a lot of data like that under their belts. And that was really important too. So we always say we need to know what the customer wants before they want it. And that's really about predicting trends, um, analyzing your data, and really thinking about your customer really carefully. So sorry, I've r- rabbited on about that subject. Yeah, that was brilliant.
0: Um, so just touching on that point of understanding your customer, matches fashion has always been a sort of style leader. So you're not only yeah. picking up data from your customer, but you're also shaping their mindset as to what they may need. So yes. can you explain a little bit more on how you've managed to communicate to your customer or your future customers to what they should be wearing and having?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, in the early days of us having the site we didn't have content we didn't put content up Um, and i think to understand your customer is also to be able to um, inspire them to educate them i don't mean that in a patronizing way i mean the fact that women and men come to us to understand it's our job to be the experts we need to have all the knowledge about why erdem is cutting in a certain way why montclair put technical avalanche systems in their jackets we need to be able to give that information Through our platform and through our stores to the customer and that's um, I mean that's super important At a bricks-and-mortar level but even more so at a content level so we need to inspire our customers They need to find information when they come to us. I mean, I don't know about you if I walk into a store and someone pick something up and I pick something up and someone says to me that looks so fabulous on I'm not really I'm actually even slightly annoyed but if someone says to me this has been designed because we don't want you to get super wet and all the water is going to run off it and it's got this technical problem have a look inside and this has been made like this I'm engaged because immediately I know that that person knows more than me and that is powerful and I think um, that's a really important important thing when you're talking to your customer it it can't just be platitudes it has to be facts and it has to be um, learned information and in the fashion industry there's a huge amount of that both creatively and technically Um, so that's really important yeah
0: this brings us quite nicely on to your next lesson which is about uh, should we have a big reveal Um, (laughs) which is about embracing change and it has on this as your sort of chosen photograph, Olivia Firth, yes. who's obviously a big leader in um, the green and sustainable fashion <laughs> world yes. um, with EcoAge. So can you explain a little bit more about sure.
1: increasing change? Um, I mean, I think with any business right now that is, and all businesses are, and must be in, in, um, engaging with the internet, um, you need to be able to move really quickly. And you need to, be, as a leader of, of that, sort of business. You need to be able to inspire change in your teams really quickly. You need to be able to pivot. You might make a mistake. Um, That's another lesson that we've learned is you need to have a culture where there's no such thing as a bad idea and you can fail. Um, Sometimes you might make a mistake, but you need to stay really making sure that everyone in the organization can and will change. I mean, when we took investment in the business, which is like five and a half years ago now, we, the stores were still called Matches, um, but our business was 60% online. Um, And so we we made the decision to call ourselves MatchesFashion.com. You wouldn't (laughs) think that that was a big deal, but to the people who worked in the business, that was a big deal. they really had a hard time understanding it and we had to really bring them with us and that took time um, when we put iPads into the business, uh, into the stores, which is something that we do. I mean, our stores now are marketing channels for our business, They're they're transactional. You can go in there, you can buy something, but you probably won't be able to take it home with you that day. It will get delivered to you that afternoon or to your hotel or wherever you are. Um, but the the salespeople are going to be working off an iPad. So bringing salespeople who work in bricks and mortar stores to understand (coughs) that that, that this was their new sales tool, tool, that was change, and that was hard for them. And so we need to make sure that as leaders we can bring people with us, we can be patient with them, we can keep explaining why. And in the end, it works. Um, It's powerful. Uh, Why I chose this slide was because um, something that became very important to me about two years ago was um, corporate social responsibility I mean it's no secret that fashion is the second biggest polluter on the planet and it began I began to become (coughs) uneasy with this um, but I really didn't we had so many conversations with our executive team about how to move forward with it and it's something you can't mess about with you can't claim to be sustainable if you're not you can't i mean and it's also sustainability in itself is is a difficult word um, so we Decided to consult which normally we don't consult with anyone really We have always done everything internally from tech builds to our magazine Which you all have copies of to um, I mean everything we've done internally our social media everything So we decided to consult with experts. So we figured out that EcoAge were the best in market um, Ably led by Livia Firth. So we started working with them now about a year ago um, they came in and they did a deep dive of all our logistics, our supply chain. Um, they created a code of conduct for our brands. Um, they worked very closely with us on all aspects of the internals of the business um, down to our use of plastics. We cannot claim in this to be perfect because we're certainly not. Um, but we now have timelines for every day different part of the business and the changes that we can bring about to make a difference. And we're also able with the platform that we have online to help educate our customers around that so we can talk to them and we can say this brand is creating their shoes here and they're using this workforce and they're paying them this much Um, and this makes it a great story for you if this is important to you. And the more that we talk about that, the more we increase awareness. So we're also able to do something socially for good um, that we feel is really important. And one of the great parts (coughs) of of doing that was that our teams, um, who are largely made up of young people in, um, in our organization, were so engaged with this and so proud to be in a business that did this we have think tanks about it now and they contribute to that Um, and they feel that they're actually making a difference um, in the world and you know it's small and it's subtle but it's empowering for them Um, so yeah i mean i think being a leader in today's culture and in online we need to be able to be really open to change and really um, e- Able to adapt and to see things coming and again to try and see things before The customer I think I think we need to pioneer and we need to try things as well And I think when you do that you also <coughs> need to um, Bring bring the teams with you. I mean, in this case, that was not necessary at all because they were all so engaged. But I mean, sometimes it is necessary to to do that.
0: And I think this really neatly brings us um, into your next lesson, which is um, never look sideways, because it is sort of tantamount yeah. to really being a pioneer and innovating. So, would you like to explain a little bit more about sure, sure. this image?
1: Sure. Um, never look sideways. Well, for me. Um, and for the business, one thing that, and again, Tom and I both had this from a lot of our teams a sort of nervousness about doing things because some other business might, or the market leader. I mean, uh, we were the number two, um, but they're obviously a number one online player out there. And, you know, making sure, and this comes back to bringing your team with you as well. You know, we used to get resistance around ideas, because they'd say, well, so-and-so's doing this, or so-and-so's doing that. And that was a frustration for us as leaders. And what we had to do was counter that and drive through it with the executive team and say, You know, it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Of course, we look at competitive analysis every week. Of course, we look at data and we compare um, how, you know, things are selling on other sites and looking at pricing and things that are absolutely vital. But in terms of our innovation, in terms of our ideas, in terms of what we wanted to do as a business again it always had to come back to our customer what we what was the best thing we could do for our customer and we mustn't look sideways we must not look at what other people are doing or be intimidated by other people's businesses or even um, I mean for me the worst thing is to follow I just I think your business, if your business is pioneering and you have a strong message to your customer, your customer is going to understand that and be proud to shop with you or or to engage with you because you are pioneering things.
0: Perfect. Um, From being a pioneer um, and I mean your obvious largest competitor is um, possibly several times larger than you in turnover. Have you yes. ever felt any sort of competitive threats where you've lost staff members to, to, to rivals, and um, how has that affected your your trade, really?
1: Well, actually, that that's an interesting point. I mean, um, the number one online business, which is, you're right, um, that's probably three times as big as ours. Um, no, we never felt threatened by that, because I think what was cool about us as a business, what is cool about Matches Fashion is that it, grew from being a very small family business. Um, Its roots were in bricks and mortar, so it always understood the customer. It had a heritage in fashion, which the customer always knew. Um, And so when customers engaged with us, and we always wanted it to feel very personal. So going back to my last point about never look sideways, we deliberately made sure that our shoots of um, men and women felt more real and felt more um, personal. We didn't want them to look airbrushed. We didn't want them to look unrealistic or unattainable, which may or may not be the feel of other sites. So we were very clear about defining ourselves as different in that sense. And we always wanted to feel, and I think this is a challenge about growing a business, as though you were arriving at um, a niche place. I mean, we have, and as you, thank, thank you, pointed out earlier on, Schmitty, that we had a very strong fashion point of view, which is definitely our DNA. And people know when they come to us, they're getting that um, more fashion edit. And um, we really made sure that we stuck to that, to um, really ensuring that we were. And I don't want to use the word niche because that's probably not the right message. But when you arrive, there's something special. It should, even though I'm sure it will grow to be, um, you know, a billion dollar business, I think it should feel like you're arriving at something which is feels smaller and feels more personal, and you should feel connected to it straight away, and if you want to find an advisor, you should still feel that. So I would like the relationship with the customer, that emotional connection that we have created to remain as tangible in the future. As it, as it was in the early days. And I think that's the challenge of digital, I think ensuring that you have that really strong relationship with your customer as you grow.
0: So two follow-on points from that. So um, in terms of the, I, I read somewhere that your average sort of basket is about 650 pounds. It's the highest, yeah. It's, it's the highest, <laughs> yes. Um, do you think that's attributed to your customer feeling that you are the expert in the product they'll get is the best in the market for their particular need, so they, you know, that price point is as high as it is. Yes. Um, and secondly, how do you sort of um, retain and, and um, reward your, your very loyal customer base? Yes.
1: Um, well, it's it's a really good point. Three um, percent of our customers uh, contribute to a third of our business, and that's actually I think really interesting because that core customer is super loyal; they're coming back time and time again um, they're spending a lot of money with us and i think um i think one thing that we do do which i think is really important i mean firstly i think our packaging our messaging is strong but one thing i think that we do do is we have a team of really well-trained people who are there and they be your personal concierge or salesperson we call them private shopper And we have women who, and and they become great friends and they become authentically, sincerely great friends. Um, I mean, one of them was 30 last week and she had a whole bunch of customers over to Ireland and had her birthday party there. Um, And they'll look after those women and they'll make sure that they get the things that they want first, um, that they get them on time if they call up in a panic because they need something for that evening. They'll make sure that, that. It goes back to the old culture of the of the early days of us really needing to look after the customers to make sure we have those customers so i mean that's part of i think what makes it special and i think it needs to remain so and i think you know if you look at what lots of businesses are trying to do now and there's so many um private shopping businesses coming up who are trying to establish that sort of relationship um with a customer I think that is vital so we can have all the data in the world and we can have, um, you know, the best e-commerce links and the best user experience, all of those things, which I think Mattress Fashion does have, but at the end of the day, there's nothing like that personal human touch for creating that, the magic, I think. We call it logic and magic, so I think those two things are really important together you need, you need the two. And even with our parcels when you receive the parcel you will have a signed card inside saying who packs it for you. So w- not only can we track it but you f- you know that somebody has beautifully created your parcel for you. So it's that. Yeah.
0: So from that sort of quite an operational mm. um, point of view of delivering on time if there's a crisis or you know someone doesn't have an outfit for the yes. evening. Your next lesson is about being transparent. So being transparent, um, it seems like you need to explain if something does go wrong, and in a, I, I guess you are a tech plus logistics business yeah. more than anything, yes. um, more, moreover than the, just the style and the fashion. Um, how, how do you deal with being very transparent to your customer if you've actually done something which hasn't gone well?
1: I think that um, an apology is very empowering. Um, I think that, um, to receive an apology and I think all CEOs, all leaders need to be able to get down to that level should they need to. Um, I think that it can't be a generic apology and I think the same people who operate the private shopping um, teams at that level need to be able to do that sincerely and appropriately. I think that's really important. Things do go wrong, of course they do, um, it's not a perfect world. Um, And I think not only that, you know, if you have technical issues all of those things I think being transparent is Absolutely key. I think you can bring people with you if you're transparent Um, And I think that also internally It's really important to be transparent with your with your teams when things are going wrong when you can't pay a bonus all of those things we need to sit and say why and how we can all work together to get back on track and I think that transparency is is key Um, I mean we we were talking earlier because I've known this lady since I don't know how long um, back in the day but um starting in our business in the early days the transparency to our customer was key the transparency to our people was key um, yeah, I've forgotten what I was going to tell you. So I was going to reference something to do with you, and it's completely gone mm-hmm. from my from my brain. Um, but yeah, that staying on message, staying on track, being open with people is is absolutely key. Because then there's nothing. I mean, I think the worst thing you can do in business is is cover something up. I mean, that has never ever sat well with me or with Tom. I mean, something is we just want to go to people's desks and say, you know what? this hasn't worked, it didn't work, we really need to do it right next time. Um, and I think that is, it, it just, you're coming from the right place. And it means one of the pillars of your business that people understand is is honesty, which I think is really important.
0: And um, in terms of uh, you working through the issues, how, how, from a process point of view, how have you? Um, taken those issues looked at how you you know what what are the major ones that you need to tackle and how have you sort of solved them are there any particular examples that you can think of
1: oh my gosh Um, there are so many (laughs) examples over the years Mm. of issues that we've had to resolve Um, I mean there's uh, of course there's logistics Mm. issues that happen Um, you know there'll be um, there's I mean honestly there's so many and and as uh, I mean as I'm sure you will realize and know that part of um, business is a great part of business is problem solving and a great part of, of leading a team is problem solving day to day so that that was a big part of my job and yeah I mean I can't. I can't even count so the times I've, I've problem solved something, and yeah.
0: I guess because your customers have such, you know, high expectations of they you. They do. Yeah. Um, and they probably get higher and higher. Yes. Um, and especially with other players, not only your rival within the industry, but yes. you know, players like Amazon who are able yeah. to deliver in. Same day, you know, having to yes. make those changes. Yeah. These are sort of very high yeah. expectations. I think. Uh-huh. See,
1: Amazon is a good a good comparison to make because, <coughs> I mean, I love buying off Amazon. I do think that it's a shame that you know we don't have as many booksellers anymore. But I love buying off Amazon. But there's no emotion in it for me. And luxury fashion is is a different thing it's often a treat to yourself it's often a gift to yourself or to someone else and there's a huge emotional component it's like booking a gorgeous holiday and you don't you need to have um, a different level of approach and amazon honestly will never be able to do that they might be able to send parcels out with standard clothes that they've made in a factory it's not the same thing at all Um, so i think that personalization that emotional connection to your customer that needs to be really super authentic is, is really important. And it's a whole different thing to Amazon. And you know, I think that businesses can thrive alongside Amazon.
0: So we're now just going to spin it a little bit okay. um, and your next, um, your next lesson is a really interesting one but I read some really fun facts that I'd li- love to share with the audience um, and one of them is the 8 centimeter rule. <laughs> um, uh, yes. Would you like to explain a little bit about the 8 centimeter rule which I think really ties in very nicely to your next lesson which is lesson number 5, work harder than <laughs> anyone else
1: okay the eight centimeter wall wasn't brought in by me it was brought in by my husband um we moved into the most beautiful offices in the shard um a year two years ago um they the offices are incredible we're super proud of them and they have a 360 of the whole of london and my husband also has an eye a fantastic really refined eye for mid-century modern furniture so he um put a lot of the things in place and created this incredible environment to work in which which is with beautiful kitchens um, that feel like the most gorgeous club that you're part of and he also created rules that there could be no coats anywhere on the floor you had to use the cloakroom so there are plenty of them no bags slung around no lunches on desks but also that If you left a meeting room you couldn't leave a coffee cup in there you had to put it on the trolley your chair needed to be you needed to put your board seat or your meeting room seat eight centimeters behind the table and um, and he would walk around the office and he would check this I mean it was really important for him and um, yeah
0: Well, he's not alone, because I think, (laughs) I mean, I've heard this of of many a fashion leader, or many a leader, um, particularly um, uh, Christopher Bailey at Burberry. He was often found to be running around late at night, you know, taking papers away. And and also, I think you're, I keep referencing your your further competitor, um, but I believe, you know, they have a very meticulous sort of, Way of um, operating, no, no, no stock on the actual floor, trading floor, and um, yes. so it's. Uh, it seems like it's an industry sort of trend uh, to be very meticulous in your offices.
1: I think it's important. I mean, I think if you if you're talking about a product that you're selling in a very visual world, then I think everybody who's working there enjoys working in a, a visually mm. beautiful mm-hmm. surrounding. And I think it's really important to try and maintain that. It's very easy for it to slide um, and keeping everybody on, on that is, is absolutely the right, the right thing to do. Wonderful. And it also creates that excellence because if you want everything to be excellent, your environment needs to feel excellent too. Um, I think it's a kind of rigour to it (coughs) which infects everything else.
0: So I'm just conscious of time, were there any other examples that you wanted to talk about when you meant work harder than anyone else? Work
1: harder than anyone else. Um, No, I mean, there aren't any particular examples. We do and we have worked really hard and the people who are there do work really hard um, and stay committed absolutely to it um but interestingly and we're going to come to another another one in a minute which i think is um a refle- uh, the the other side of that
0: sure so point number six lesson number six is uh, never <coughs> look backwards so we yes. we're not looking sideways and we're not looking backwards yes
1: um i think another reason that we were successful in um the fashion space was that we don't look backwards um when I talk about that, I'm talking about the, the classic mistakes that, and I don't, I don't want to bash department stores, but um, <laughs> they have, in the past, gone at a buy, and looking at the figures, taking the statistics from the last season with them. And, you know, we bought this many, we sold that many, therefore we should be buying this many. We never looked at it like that at all. And when you're thinking about somebody's wardrobe and fashion, and fashion is something that changes constantly, we, our science would be, look at it, we sold this many last season, which means that a large majority of our customer have that in their wardrobe. So why would they want to buy it again, a season later or a year later even? We need to think, yes, we'll have new customers that want to buy that. So let's buy a few, but let's look at what's new and fresh and out there that they haven't got. So if we haven't seen a kitten heel before and that comes down Stella McCartney's runway, that looks great, we all agree it looks great, and it's generally by consensus, then that's the one, let's talk about that, how many are we going to buy there? Women haven't been buying that for a while, so whole new reason to buy something. And so that's a very instinctive and creative um, decision that gets made. And so what we do is we use data um, strongly, and we have a kind of push-pull relationship between merchandising and buying, whereas merchandising will be saying, You sold so many of these last season, we think you can sell that many again. And the buying team will go at it and say, yes, we know we're going to have new customers and we know that we can sell a few of those again. But actually what we're seeing and what we want to buy this season is this, that and the other. And this feels new and this feels fresh and the customer hasn't seen it for a while. And that, I think, inspires the customer. And it's why we've been able to claim, you know, this position of fashion point of view. Um, because we do always have something new for the customer. We're not delivering up the same thing.
0: Well, we're sitting in a business school, and as business school students, um, most of us are business school students, we've been told to yeah. follow the data, um, and a big part of the data yeah. is historical analysis. So what yes. you've just described is quite scary, yes. in that you're not actually fo- following the historical analysis yes. as much as we've been trained. So how, yes. how do you how would you inform a sort of data-driven geeky audience as to how this actually plays out is it as artistic as you
1: i would it is and i would say to a data-driven audience um, that's super important for any business but if you're talking about luxury fashion space or anything that needs an emotional component to it you need to work collaborate with creative people who really understand what's coming next and are thinking about that all the time and work in that space and they also need to understand the data of it of course and they need to have the numbers under their belt but you need to have that instinct for it you need to work with those people who'll be the first people wearing something who know what's coming next Um, and there are you know there are I think about my daughter who's in Los Angeles who's an artist and well she's an artist she's at school in Los Angeles and that core group of artists they know what people are going to wear next because they start wearing it themselves so then you can see patterns forming and when you can see patterns forming and it does come back to patterns as well you can start to really think about what's coming as well as thinking about the data because I think if you go into poor old department stores a department store time and time again and they're still serving up the same things to you because they sold them well last time it's not inspiring you know when we merchandise our bricks and mortar stores what we do and because you know our inventory on our our business on our site is huge and our um stores are are pretty small so what we do is we merchandise them as an experience it should be they're not places i said this earlier that we think about them as a marketing opportunity so what we do is we put the most exciting and the newest things that the customer might not have seen or understood in that before so it gives them the customer then has a, a challenge to understand it they might not like it but you're also training their eye onto the next thing because nobody everyone wants to feel relevant and current and culturally um, informed and so that's what you know for, for us having a bricks and mortar store almost becomes like having a museum where you want to go and see this young up and coming artist a fashion store should have that sense too it's not you might not buy something you might come out of there and think wow I love this business and I'm going to go home and buy that thing that I did maybe buy before but and you still feel wedded to that business but you should still feel that they are thinking ahead and that they are thinking about what's next um and there are you know people who want the new thing but it's also our job to make sure that we're buying things for people who want the same thing they've had before and who people who are comfortable with their their, the same thing you know and it's also our job to buy clothes for people who work in business and who might have restrictions on what they can wear Um, so it it comes back again to that anthropological idea of thinking about your customer and how they um, how they live and how they work and making sure you have the right data and the right customer demographics but also you have a creative aspect to it which keeps it exciting and young and fresh and new yeah
0: that brings us perfectly to your next um, okay. Penultimate lesson um, bec- and, and something that's particularly close to my heart is to, to work with young and emerging designers um, as part of not only your work with the British Fashion Council and yes. New Gen, but also yes. something very core cool to you. So, how are, have you been working with trendsetters and have you involved them in your business? Yes. Or are you just mentoring them? Um, ha- how have you?
1: Well, of course, up? I mean, we, we have this very strong platform we have millions of visitors coming every year Um, and so what we can do now is if we find a new talent who we think will be exciting in the future and that's what makes actually this a really exciting (coughs) job for a creative buyer um, is that they get the opportunity not only to work with established big brands but they get the opportunity to find who might be the next talent when they're just coming out. So actually we can we can be really influential in the careers of designers, which is quite a fabulous thing to do. And then we have this platform so we can say, okay, you're very new to this. Um, we can help you to produce a collection of eight pieces. Um, and at the moment Matches Fashion has um a program called the Innovators, so they find new um they're finding new creative young people. Um, and they're working with them. And then we can put them on to a platform where they can be exposed to millions of customers immediately. So obviously we have to be very rigorous in terms of understanding that they will have some longevity in the market. So they need to have that sort of personality and as- aptitude, um, but they need to also understand the quality that we're looking for. But then to have, an ide- to have ideas that feel new and fresh, but also that people might want to wear, um, then we can really expose them to this huge customer base. And you know that huge customer base, the majority of them will not want to engage with them, but they two things happen. Number one, there's a cohort of customers that love it because they really like that particular designer or the direction they're taking. Um, and number two, your customer feels like they're shopping in the right place, they, they're with a business even if they have the more classic taste and they want to stick to that, they're with a business that is going forward and looking forward and working with creative talent. And also there's this part where we feel like we have a responsibility to do that too, because we are um, working with big brands. I mean, it's great and that's easy and we love them, Um, but we also have a responsibility to support and nurture new talent. And I think Matches Fashion have done the most incredible job of that. And I'd say, I would go out and say, the best job um, of supporting British talent in that, but also now flinging the net wider and looking for more international new talents that are coming through um, that they can work with and support in that way. Um, And that actually is one of the most fun parts of the job.
0: So switching from uh, talent that you. Yes. Buy yes. Um, in terms of the yes. products, and um, what you mentioned earlier was that you like to nurture homegrown talent. Yes. Um, and what was fascinating to me when we had um, a conversation earlier in the week is yeah. that you you you've managed to maintain um, one of your staff for 11 years, which actually is a massive feat in the fashion industry, where yeah. people move careers very quickly. So how yes. do you? What do you have? Sort of a talent program that you put your staff Um
1: on? They're working on that right now. I mean, we haven't had an official one yet um, But we have I mean we have talent in matches fashion that's been there for 25 years, I think um, From sales floor um, Which is quite amazing, but we have girls and boys who came in as interns and actually looking for for teams looking for um, people to come and work there is often quite difficult because you can employ people who have cr- actually got some quite bad habits that don't necessarily fit. Um, so what we learned is not necessarily to look at people's CVs, although CVs are important, in terms of where they've been to school, sorry to say. But where they've been to school is important. Um, the level of commitment they've shown is important. But it could also be that they came out of school at 18 and went straight to work in retail and and luxury fashion because they loved it and now they want to move into buying or whatever and then these are people then we want to see because they're fresh um, because they want to do a job and you know you have to sift through a lot to get to the good ones but one of the things and I mentioned this earlier that we found um, the most beneficial for the business is creating an intern program and having interns come in who started working with us. And who came to love the culture and stayed and really started to understand the DNA of the business and we wouldn't have been and we would interview people for roles quite senior roles in in for example the buying team and we would see people who came from all sorts of different backgrounds and then we would have our interns sitting there and we'd say you know what we haven't seen anyone as good as her, so let's give her the chance. And every single time it's worked. It was absolutely the right decision to make. Mm. So there was a risk to it, of course. Um, but when I think when you really support people like that and empower them and when they've had the time to work with you and understand they really want to do a great job. Um, they don't come in with any preconceived ideas. And also going back to work harder, when you have that kind of culture where everyone is really working hard, it's no shock to them. They come in and they're just like, they hit the ground and they're doing, doing a great job. So that's that's homegrown talent has worked. Um, yeah, and I think also, I did put support and empower your talent. Um, to that point, I also believe that you absolutely need to support your workforce in every single possible way you can, um, through every possible means you can, it's the most important thing. You need to pay them well, you need to make sure that their health needs are met, you need to ensure that somebody somewhere really understands what's going on in their family, if they have an issue that they need, you know, I think mental health at work is becoming an increasingly important issue that we need to look at. Some of the most creative talents are people who are anxious or um, do sometimes suffer from depression and they can also be your best talents and they need total support and um, a really caring environment.
0: This brings us very, very neatly to the last lesson, yes. um, uh, which is uh, self-care yes. and self-love. Yes. Um, I read on a sort of interview that you did with Vanity Fair that you have a very healthy lifestyle and try try and have a very healthy lifestyle with sort of pilates and 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 nice juices but what do you really mean by self-care?
1: I think this is something I put in actually late yesterday because um, and it is getting bandied around a bit as a bit of a trendy thing Mm -hmm. right now so I don't want to be seen as jumping onto that bandwagon but actually it's really important to me because I think as the leader of an organization you need to set a good example and I think no example is greater than taking care of yourself it if you are working harder than anyone else it takes its toll Um, you need to learn to have boundaries strong boundaries um, for your family life for your own personal self-care you need to really ensure that's in place and that you make a point of doing it and you make a point of everyone knowing that you're doing it Um, because you can't lead otherwise you can't think otherwise if you're exhausted if you need four coffees in the morning before you can even get going then that's not great you know um just make sure that that's you know and also those old business do it your way as well. I mean the old business idea of having to go out and do a boozy dinner and do all those things Just just don't I mean do it your way I, d- I dictate the terms upon which you want to work and work that way Don't feel that because you're in some kind of culture that you need to do it. your that way I'd be really clear <coughs> about h- what makes you work well um, and how you want to work and um, and try and and if you're within an organization try and bring about change that can help people to, um, to to make that change not only for themselves but you know I think I think looking after yourself is super important um, yeah I mean I'm I, I say this I have not always been the best example of this and I say this because I have made the turnaround um, because I was a complete mess Twelve years ago, I mean, literally doing too many things, um, and had to really start take stock and start to think about it.
0: And with that, um, I think it's now time for some questions.
2: Yes, so
1: we've run a bit late for the presentation, but we'll open the questions.
2: If people need to leave, please do. Feel very free to do it, and yeah, we can answer the
1: questions <coughs> that you Okay. Hello.
2: Hi. I would like to find out. You sold the your company to apex yes what's the rationale for that and also do you have what's what's your next venture that you might be embarking on
1: okay um (coughs) we sold our business last year because we were always building the business for ipo which i think is the right way to build a business Um, and then we had an opportunity Um, we were approached by a number of private equity firms and so we thought about it very carefully and we decided to go through the process and we were happy with the price that we were offered Um, my my or my husband's next venture i think we have a pretty tight non-compete for now so um, we won't be doing anything in business particularly for the next two and a half years or so. so Forward planning? Forward planning. I don't know. I mean, we were just talking about this earlier. I'm actually quite interested in going back to school. Um, (laughs) And I have a lot of unread books littering my house, so I'm quite interested in that. Um, And I don't necessarily feel yet that... And I'm also quite interested in um, getting involved in the next generation of of entrepreneurs rather than... I don't think I'd start anything again myself, but I definitely would invest in other people and other people's ideas. Yeah. Sorry. Yes.
2: How did you control, study those customer journey checkpoints from the advertising by Veneta on Vanity Fair to the purchase on your store, and uh, how did you change it when you shift online?
1: I'm sorry. Can you ask me that again? Uh,
2: the customer checkpoints. Yes. How did you uh, study it and control it?
1: The customer check, please. So the customer, customer journey. journey. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it was just—it was very organic for us. It was just very much about staying close to how the customer was shopping, um, and creating the journey that felt the easiest for them. I think. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Um,
2: you know, you talked about your innovators. Yes. Program. So do your buyers go out to like, graduate
1: fashion week? And do, they, do people, design designers come to matches? Um, they, do you know what, we do try to go to graduate fashion week, they go mostly to um, London fashion week, they do do the um, end of year shows and they, there's a sort of buzz as well that happens. I mean, what the buyers are great at doing as well as talking to journalists, they have, that's quite a symbiotic and important relationship um, about what's going on. So they also have their ear to the ground or to the underground, if you like, about who's new and what's coming along. Um, and they just make sure that they get to see things. I mean, good places are like the LVMH prize is a very great place to find new talent, but usually matches fashion have got at least three or four of the contenders before LVMH launches the prize. So their ear is closely to the ground. you do exclusive ranges with them? Yes. There? Yeah. Totally. Yes. Yes. Sorry.
2: Um, think of the talk. I'm curious about how you weight and track influence. So you, the story of your daughter in LA reminded me a bit of how Malcolm Gladwell opened Tipping Point with
1: yeah. the, story of the hush
2: puppies being cool again. Yes. And, you know, that was such a clear way to monitor how it happens. Yes. Kids starting in the West Village, and then someone went on TV, and in the five states that it was on in TV, people went and asked for hush buttons again. Yeah. I'm just curious, given we're in this Instagram influencer zone, where people from Turkey to Singapore to wherever can build up followings, referrals. Is it harder, given you've been doing this for so long, do you think it's harder now to monitor and track buzz?
1: I think it's harder to read between the lines of what's uh, paid for and what's not paid for. Um, I think that um, a good buyer can spot. I mean, it's one of the most interesting places to go is to fashion weeks to see what people, those people, are actually wearing. You can get quite a sense of that and you know my daughter in Los Angeles for example will have phone conversations and she'll say I'm really feeling uggs again you know and I'll say really and she'll say yeah I'm really feeling uggs and then that makes me think well if if uggs are going to be coming back (laughs) then that means skinny jeans are going to make a comeback so there's always a a link on to something else um, and she'll see something and those are the people that will will be interesting people who are interested in the anthropology of how we dress and whose eye is always on it. And there are people who know they are that because you sit somewhere and you're just looking at people and you, get, you form patterns, my brain does that. I sit and look at people and I see patterns <coughs> in how they're dressing and I see shifts. Um, and that I think is fascinating. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of brain you need to partner with, partner the data with really and you can with an online platform and you know millions of visitors you can actually also influence that so you can actually go okay i'm going to invest this much in that style of shoe and i'm really going to talk to these customers and i'm going to get behind it and that is powerful yeah okay. sorry um, so it's one about teams so you have those wonderful people who take you on the whole
0: journey who do 25 years but as you grow sometimes the people who were with you in the beginning don't miss, aren't necessarily the right people to take you yeah. to the next stage the next stage. True. So I was wondering if you could talk about two things. One is how you keep that culture, but the other is like when you're moving into tech and you're out there trying to find people who are experts in something, you don't necessarily understand yourself, or so you've never done yourself. So you're yes. business it out. Yeah. How are you sure? How do you make
1: those decisions? Um, okay. <coughs> I think it comes back again to gut. I mean, one of the most important things for us, and that's around culture, was, you know, people can come for an interview with, and I don't have a tech background or tech knowledge, but people can come for an interview and you can talk to them for two hours and you know you, they're going to fit into your organisation. And people can come and they can have worked in the most, and it gets back to that CV place thing. Um, they can, work, they can have worked in incredible places that should really mean that they're the best quali- qualified for the job, but somehow you know they're not going to fit. And it's a, about aligning your vision with their vision and, and also feeling like they're going to fit in with the rest of the team. Because if, if they're a good fit with the rest of the team and they're motivated and excited about the opportunity and they've done something like this before, chances are it's going to work. And yes, to your earlier point, and that—that's sort of what I was trying to demonstrate with change. People, you know, things do change, and some of your early people won't want to stay with you. Some of them will, um, and some of them will be very proud to and very excited to. But I think um, it's—it's okay when some people want to move on. You know, it's just the way the way things are. It's, It's about change. Yeah. Yes. Sorry.
2: Yes. Talking also about change. Um, there's been a massive shift in the amount of brands going direct to consumer, yeah. particularly coming from the US with, with the likes of Everlane, and yeah. Outdoor Voices and Bonobos. Yes. How do you see the fashion model changing, or do you see it staying firmly in that wholesale grasp? Because it can could be, could be quite challenging for new brands coming through yeah. to be able to dictate those terms.
1: I think that's a really, really interesting question. I mean, I, thi- I see some people doing that direct-to-customer thing really really well and they have a great product and they don't need to do anything in a different way And then I see other people who have a different kind of business who um, You know, I think if the people you're talking about Evelyn Bonobos those people They started out as business people and they created a product The people that we work with usually are people who create something and they don't start out thinking I want to, I'm going to go from A to B, but they start out being creators and it's f- it's for us to give them a platform. And I think that's what's really interesting about them coming to us. Um, in terms of, it be of wholesale, I think the idea of an agent who represents a brand probably will diminish somewhat, but I think um, a multi-brand where you find creative uh, fashion, different kinds of fashion, and you're inspired. And it's also, the, that, the responsibility of that site, Matches Fashion, is to inspire the customer in ways to put things together. I mean, for example, the customer who shops with us doesn't want to wear head to toe. I don't know what brand to say, um, but they don't really necessarily want to do a head to toe look apart from probably Gucci right now, but um, <laughs> they're, they're, they want to mix it up and they want to feel that they're able to do that. So it's our job to inspire them to do that um, so I think that there w- I think both can exist side by side and I think there's some really good direct-to-consumer brands who are doing a great job um, with a great product and then there are some great creators of fashion who need support and need sites that can expose them to places I think they w- I think they will learn also to um, control and dictate their image more though I think that's important so that they don't sell into necessarily the wrong stores or the places that don't represent them well I think that's important do
2: you ever think the model which will shift slightly you look at the marketplaces for the that, you know, star.com didn't quite end so well but there are similar sort of marketplaces that coming in and focusing on quite a niche market which almost looks as a, almost like a drop ship but coming into the you know, retail as well. So like Selfages, if yeah. you don't want to go away and they want yeah. to attract the top name brands, is an opportunity to shift more of a marketplace where you pay instead per impression or you may pay um, you know, per click or you may pay, you know, that's sort of, almost like a Facebook ad essentially.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's really talking about marketing and the way different people will market and I think that we're always going to be looking at Reviewing how we talk to our customer and the different ways that we can reach out to them Um, And I think they will change I mean, I think one thing that's going to become super interesting in the future is voice activated, you know, if you want to You can say I need a pair of Gucci shoes and how that connects back to a site is There's so many ways that that will impact the future and going back to my point point. Earlier about don't look sideways it's like what do you believe in what does your customer really what's going to engage them what do you want to be first at that's going to be meaningful and not gratuitous and just for the sake of it that's the other thing about technology making sure you're using things <coughs> for the right reason and not because you um, not because you think it's just the cool thing to do just make sure it's meaningful and you can really produce results off the back of it I think too. okay um, yeah, sorry.
2: Spoke about this a little bit, but maybe um, could you elaborate on how you predict customer trends? So, is there a certain approach that you use, um, you know, to spot changes in your customers um, before they become mainstream?
1: Um, Well, we can see that very quickly and there there will be a product that you see i mean generally the buyers get pretty good at spotting that early um and if a brand produces something they get that they get excited about they can usually predict and invest at at that point um but there is no real science in terms of um say you know we're talking about hush puppies there's no real science to that that's just literally an instinctive thing that starts to happen, and you need to be early to spot it. Um, And that defies all data. That's just how human beings live and are. Um, So you just need your eyes open for that, really. One last question. One last question. Uh, So
0: it's maybe a more personal question. Uh, back in time, you talk about uh, wrong paths and issues. Uh, did you uh, ever think about giving up and what made you keep pace on going there?
1: Oh, <laughs> um, I never thought about giving up because when you end up with six or seven hundred people working for you you have a responsibility to them um, and for the last five and a half years we had a responsibility to our board as well um, and that is very motivating and gets you out of bed every day Um, but no I never felt like giving up and actually what was interesting about our business and our journey for us was that we started out with one store so Intellectually, that was, and we were very young, that was quite interesting. And then as we grew and we had more stores, that was also intellectually really interesting and learning to manage more people. And starting out from the bottom, and we were talking about this earlier, from doing like one store meant that every single role I understood, you know, every single role in that business I understand from the person who packs the boxes to the person who dresses the windows to the person who runs HR, I understand all those roles. So that was actually um, quite helpful to me, I think, and also helpful to me to be on on the level with everybody in the teams. And I think that was profoundly beneficial for me. And I would advise anyone, and there are certain businesses I'm looking at at the moment, when i'm traveling certain airlines that i think i wish the person at the top would actually get on this plane now (laughs) and see what the poor people who are working here have to put up with because you know there's just so much that that gives you i mean just flying once in those seats and you know that i'd say everyone should try and do if possible just a few hours in every single role and seeing the challenges that every department and every person at every level faces. Um, and then you never want to give up because you always want to solve those problems for them. That's the exciting part, really. And I think that was a great end question, uh, so thank you very much for oh,